Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are excited today to begin a new uh, series, a new uh uh, saint, uh, at the request of one of our special listeners, actually, we're going to spend at least a week, likely a couple of weeks, covering the life and the experience of Titus Brandsma. Now, Titus Brandsma was actually a Carmelite of the ancient observance, but nonetheless, uh, a great Carmelite and one who we look to uh, for a host of reasons, not the least of which his own uh, philosophical studies. He was a professor of philosophy. His uh, research into the history of mysticism, and most especially his life as a martyr for the church. Uh, so a great Carmelite for us to focus on, I think, during Lent. Uh, Francis, we talked about this briefly as um, we were getting ready to come on the air, and uh, I think you would agree this is a good person for us to be reflecting on at this time of year. I think he has a lot to offer us on how to accept suffering in our lives, how to turn it around so that it works in our favor. And so um, with that in mind, I do have an opening prayer And it comes from the Memorial Mass of Blessed Titus Brandsman. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, source and giver of life, you gave to Blessed Titus the spirit of courage to proclaim human dignity and the freedom of the church, even in the throes of degrading persecution and death. Grant us that same spirit, so that in the coming of your kingdom of justice and peace, we might never be ashamed of the gospel, but be enabled to recognize your loving kindness in all the events of our lives. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, I do want to say... Just quickly, uh, this is, and I think I mentioned this last week, this is actually in response to a request that was submitted by uh, a dear listener of ours, a friend of ours in Beaumont, Texas. I won't mention the individual's name, uh, but that person has a great devotion to Titus Brandsma and uh, asked at some point if we could uh, spend some time doing some research and, and talk about the significance of this great Carmelite. And so uh, we're doing that. I say that in part uh, to let that individual know we did hear your request and we're happy to, to take the time to do this, although... Uh, it has been a number of um, months, frankly, since we uh, engaged in that uh, conversation. But um, well, I want to thank him for the gift of introducing us more intimately into the life of uh, Blessed Titus Brandsma, because I'm sure being enriched, I, I hope all of our listeners will feel that way, too. Yeah, and it's also, uh, I think, a footnote for us to say we do want to hear what our listeners are interested in and what you might like to have us have a conversation about. Uh, if you have a particular topic in, in the context, obviously, of Carmelite life, Carmelite spirituality, prayer, uh, we certainly would be happy to do the research and and uh, spend some time uh, in a conversation uh, on that topic. And, and I think I did say, uh, for the benefit of that listener that we're referring to, uh, we've had some communication. I um, uh, did send uh, a follow-up letter to my first letter that was uh, uh, a little bit ago and, in fact, reflected some of uh, my experiences uh, when I was over in Spain. And uh, certainly um, want to thank that person for 
the ongoing communication and uh, and the request for this e- uh, particular topic. Well, I want to introduce the book that we used as the main source of our research, and it's called Encountering God in the Abyss, Titus Bransma's Spiritual Journey by Constant Dole, D-O-L-L-E. And, you know, I, I like that title, Encountering God in the Abyss. I think that is so appropriate for Lent. And, you know, I also put in a parenthesis, Witness to Hope. All right. <laughs> that's, that's my little uplift on that, which I think Titus would really appreciate because he always did that too. Yeah. Uh, those, of course, are words that were attributed to the life of uh, John Paul II. Uh, but I think equally so to Titus Brandsman. We're going to see that in the events of his life. And again, as I say, uh, this is a, a, a mini series, if you will. We don't really know how long it'll take, Francis. So we've got his sketches that we want to do, and that may take another program. But let's jump into this. There are a couple of key things that I think we want to hit at the beginning. Uh, first of all, this uh, book that Francis mentions is a biography. And one of the most powerful aspects of a biography, and one of the reasons I think uh, some of them, certainly of our of our saints, are so popular, is that a person doesn't read a biography simply to learn about the person they they uh, may be reading about in the uh, biographical sketch, but they do it to understand something more about themselves, uh, something more about their own experience. And Francis, you shared with me as we uh, just before we came on air tonight, and again with our listeners just now, uh, that's true for you in reading this book. Absolutely, I I felt that you know he helped explain you know why. Um, bad things happen to good people. <laughs> so we'll get to that. But <laughs> a, a lesson I think we can all learn. Uh, Constant Dole, and I apologize, uh, I don't have a Dutch background or a Dutch language uh, uh, familiarity, so I may be mispronouncing that last name, but Constant Dole is actually a Carmelite priest himself, um, was not a childhood friend. He was much younger than Titus Bransma, but actually... Um, lived in a neighborhood very close to Titus Bransma's, and um, his mother, Constant Dole, the author of the book, his mother, was visited by Titus Bransma a number of times when he was a young um, uh, man and before his ordination to the priesthood. But he tells an interesting story about later <clears throat> in his um, uh, priestly duties, he is commissioned to write this book, and he is both experiencing the effects of aging, including, in his case, the onset of blindness. Um, and he discovers through the life of Titus Bransma, someone who he had been exposed to as a young person, but then had lost touch with. And in researching his life, he found great consolation and great strength uh, for his own trials that he was now entering at the stage of his life when he was beginning the research and the writing for this uh, this text that we're going to use as a source. Yeah, so be listening for hints on how to handle adversity well. All right. Well, I want to say, um, because I'm, I tend to be a simple person and like to uh, sort of stamp a theme for what it is that we um, want to uh, have a conversation about, and in the case of Titus Bransma, there are two very simple themes that resonate through his entire life, and they're very consistent. They're from his own words, and then he lived them out. The first of these is his motto, which was simply, take each day as it comes. Now, that sounds like a simple motto and something that we can all live by, although it's not a, a particularly easy thing to do. But Titus Bransma, having said it, is one thing. 
his life is actually the manifestation of that very motto. He lived this uh, throughout what ended up being a very difficult life. And there's a quote I wanted to read uh, from uh, uh, the book, in fact, the introduction. What impressed me, this is from Constant Dole, the author, what impressed me most was his acceptance of everything that took place around him. What I learned from Titus is to accept oneself with one's own possibilities and limitations. He never talked about other possibilities this way or another way was the way he had to go. He opted in freedom to go the way that he had to go. He did this even when in prison at Cleef, uh, which is uh, where he initially was taken in Holland before he was transferred to Dachau in Germany. Uh, and then just quickly, I would say acceptance, acceptance is the central word of his life. Take life as it is. This is the message, the first, I think, a predominant message of Titus Bransma. Yes, he's going to help us find that life is meaningful in every aspect, um, every day, in every moment, provided you're with God. <laughs> he also says, and again, I'm drawing from the introduction, as long as we have control of our life, we experience a sense of security. Um, but we only begin to really live when we dare to entrust ourselves to the mystery of the creative hand of God. And again, we're sort of setting the stage for um, what ultimately will be the reflection on his life and his experience, which will demonstrate how he lived this out. Okay, so now what's the second theme? You said the first theme was take each day as it comes, which reminds me of living in the present moment and accepting you know, all the favors God gives you in each of those moments. Yet the second major theme in his life is his introduction to each of us for entry into the mystical life. Uh, Titus Bransma was a philosopher first. That was his academic discipline. Uh, but he actually was a professor of the history of mysticism in Holland. And in fact, there is a program, a, 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 an entire curriculum uh, founded in his name still today at the university where he taught. We'll come by that university a little bit in our in our conversation. But um, the introduction to the mystical life, what does that mean? It's not something that is either for a chosen few, nor is it something that we should separate from our normal, everyday life. Instead, Titus Bransma would argue, the whole mission of our individual lives is to seek to integrate that which has been separated as a result of the fall the fall being in, in, in the garden. Uh, and we will spend a good deal of our uh, time in conversation, Francis, talking about this theme. And then we're talking about mysticism here. We're talking about <laughs> mystery, the mystery of God. And so we're not talking about um, like locutions and apparitions and all of that ecstasies. No, we're talking about the presence of God in the ordinariness of the daily uh, run of the mill life. And okay? Titus Bransma would argue that all of us have been granted this invitation to an intimate, um, friendly uh, um, union with God through the mystical experience, as you described it so accurately. And he said this is both uh, attainable and, um, uh, uh, I guess, available for all of us who are willing to enter into that experience, as he did now not without its trials and its tribulations and its difficulties, of course, because we have to transition ourselves away from a way of acting uh, that is very natural, very worldly, very uh, much attached to 
um, our human experience. And, and maybe, he's gonna, maybe like knee-jerk reflex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> reflex. Um, he, he's going to show us, um, again, largely, I think, through his life. His writings certainly are helpful, but largely through his life. This is a man who lived uh, his words in the very fullest sense. All right. Well, let's get a little bit of his biographical information here to kind of set it up uh, where he lived. He was born February 23rd in 1881. So this month um, he will be uh, celebrating his birthday, February 23rd. No, we're already in March. March. Oh, my gosh. I did a real flashback there, didn't I? (laughs) Francis okay. has been busy lately. Oh, <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> okay, forgive me. All right, I'm back in the present. <laughs> all right, so the ne- he was in, born in the Netherlands, yeah, all right? In, in Bolsward, uh, the Netherlands, right? All right, and he died on the 26th of July in 1942 and in the famous Dachau concentration camp of Germany. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll tell that story, but um, it's important, I think, that we sort of lay out uh, where we're going here so people can put this in context. He was certainly a victim uh, of the Nazi regime, and um, um, we'll tell that story because it's significant, but w- we should just lay that context. So 1942, as you said. I also have to put America. a little in here that he actually <laughs> came close to the United States soil. Whether he ever stepped foot in the United States, I don't know, but uh, he was at the Carmelite he Center did. in Niagara. He did. Yeah, he was in the United States at okay. Niagara. Well, he right. went to the Niagara Falls, and there is a Carmelite Center there, but it's on the Canadian side, I mm-hmm. believe. Anyway, so he went there um, when he was uh, doing some work in, in the journalism uh, uh, field. Field, yeah. yes. Yep. And so I thought, I, I like that. I had to connect there because I, I went to Niagara Falls. So all you people who live over there, uh, you can know that you've got holy ground there. You've got a blessed who walked among you. <laughs> Well, his parents were very devout Catholics, his siblings, uh, which included, by the way, one brother and four sisters, all of whom took vows as religious, except for one sister. Uh, She was married and ended up having uh, children. Um, The sisters joined various orders, and his brother was actually a Franciscan. His father, whose name was also Titus, um, um, was respected very much by his son, Titus. Uh, he was a very active member of the church and also in pressing for the recognition of Catholic schools by the state. So the yes. affirmation that the Catholic education was acceptable uh, by state standards. And this very fact will play out in Titus. Oh, yeah. Bre- Blessed Titus Bransma picks up that and champions that cause and brings it to the fore. So isn't that wonderful? Well, you know, at an early age, um, when he was only 11, he went to Megan. M-E-G-E-N, so I don't know how to pronounce that exactly, um, which was a Franciscan school, which is which was the beginning of his preparation for the priesthood. And But rather than continue his studies as a Franciscan, um, believing the itinerant life of that order would be too much for him, um, Titus chose to continue his studies at the Carmelite Monastery at Boxmeer. Mm-hmm. And I think this is wonderful because he's identifying with the mystical tradition of the Carmelite life and the idea of the contemplative life. And, you know, with his very philosophical bent, his philosophical nature, I I think this was really uh, perfect. Um, So you're going to see this philosophy, this lover of truth come and play out throughout all of his activities. I I think this is key that we remember this. Yeah, and when he went to Boxmere, there are two things that particularly attracted uh, his attention. The first was when he walked into the building, uh, Titus saw a sign in plain letters which read, Silentium Perpetuum, Perpetual 
silence. And he was very drawn to that right away. Now, as Francis said, he sort of had a philosophical, we understand that because of his uh, aspirations as a, a professor of philosophy, uh, but also a mystical bent, even at an early age. And so he knew he wasn't drawn to the Franciscans. Uh, and in fact, uh, a part of that decision was also based on his health. He had been a very uh, unhealthy child and was subject to uh, bouts of um, uh, of sickness. Uh, uh, in fact, at one point, his father even went to Boxmere and, and uh, threatened to take him home with him because he was so concerned about the young Titus's health. But this idea of silence linked to his mystical uh, affinity drew him very much. There's a second thing, though, Francis, that becomes so uh, pertinent in uh, his life, and we've talked about it a lot, the importance of... Of the cell. Yeah. And here we are, you and I have often mentioned the interior cell within ourselves. Um, Blessed Titus Brandsman describes his cell in detail. Um, it's his inner world, and that way he can be at home no matter where his body is, right? <laughs> he says, my cell can be understood as the key phrase for Titus's experience of God's nearness. That's what the author was saying. So my cell is a key phrase for experiencing God's nearness. So that should be a hint to us this Lent that as we go to the interior cell of our own hearts and our own souls, that's where we're looking for God. That's where we're trying to connect with the presence of God. Not that we're trying to create it because all we can do is be receptive and open. But the way we do that is by getting away from the distractions of the world, the distractions, whether on our own minds, our passions, and to be, um, like Teresa said, Teresa Vavla, look at him. Yeah. And this cell that we've talked about so often, Francis, in our conversations, um, you know, it's important, I think, to lay a little context here. Um, there are three words that I think most especially describe what the cell means. That's silence, solitude, and simplicity. Now, uh, for Titus, we've already described his affinity to silence, but we're talking about an interior silence. It's practiced in an external silence by limiting the simple uh, influence of external noise, televisions, radios, iPads. In this day and age, we have, you know, uh, just an overwhelming uh, source of, uh, of uh, uh, types of uh, a noise that can interfere with us. But uh, interior silence is really what we're talking about. Solitude is not just running away to be alone, although that's important, but it's being alone um, in the context of our emotions, controlling joy and fear and doubt and all of those things in the context of a relationship with God. We unfortunately could go on for quite some time with that description, but we won't. And simplicity, and I think that speaks for itself, simplifying our lives. Those three elements, this idea of a cell that Francis talks about, the interior cell, it's not an intellectual concept. It is created, it is practiced, it is developed over time. And Titus will spend an entire life doing that. For him, though... The model of this was the founder of the Carmelite order, and of course that's Elijah, who we look to not necessarily, there's a, been debate about this over the years, but not necessarily linked to a uh, historical lineage of Carmelites that reached all the way back to Elijah, uh, but the spirit of Elijah, yeah. which is the foundation the of spiritual our order. Her spiritual heritage. And, and Elijah, as we know, is one who stood before the living God in prayer, in contemplative prayer. In fact, uh, Francis, I'd like you, if you wouldn't mind reading that uh, piece from Elijah, uh, from Kings, obviously, but regarding the life of Elijah, because this was very important to 
uh, Titus Pransman. In fact, he uh, uses this as a backdrop to uh, the mystical sketch that he writes on Elijah. All right. So this is from the Book of Kings. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now this was the, just quickly the backdrop is the, 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 uh, the killing of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, which Elijah did um, um, because Ahab had uh, become devoted to the prophets of Baal in, in uh, direct uh, uh, disobedience to God. And you remember, this is when the fire came down and consumed the, the, whole, <laughs> the, the whole sacrifice of, of uh, Elijah. Um, anyway, so... Speaking of Elijah, and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, There was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Now I'm going to tell you without going into the explanation, but this is an analogy for vocal prayer. This is the first wave. This is vocal prayer. Okay. Um, So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. And this is the journey on the way to contemplative prayer, so we now know we're into meditative prayer. So we've eaten the word of God through the, the vocal prayer. We've meditated on it to strengthen, Elijah has, and now he's moving on to his next mission. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I don't want to go through the whole story, but uh, the most pivotal part in Elijah's life in his connection to the Carmelite order, of course, is when he is invited by God to enter the cave uh, on Mount Horeb. And, and, and God, of course, tells him he'll be passing by. And there's fire and there's storm and there's thunder and there's all sort of activity. And then, of course, God comes by in the gentle breeze, which is the entry into contemplative prayer. But the entry into contemplative prayer, Titus Bransma understood very well, required first that we fed on the word, that we meditated on the word, and we went through the desert of the uh, um, difficulties and the trials uh, through, frankly, the geography of our own soul to the center of our soul. He has a reading here um, um, from uh, from the text by a constant dole that I just want to cover quickly. The Carmelite order, this is from Titus Bransma, has a double goal. The first, we must try to reach with the assistance of divine grace by our own labors and steadfast practice. That first goal is, simply put, to meet our obligations avoiding sin and practicing virtue in the process. But in addition, we have been given a second and much more sublime goal, one we shall achieve only by a pure gift of God's goodness. It is that, not only after death, but already in this earthly life, very important, Francis has said this a couple times, we will, to some extent, taste in our heart and experience in our spirit 
the gracious impact of the divine presence, the sweetness of the heavenly glory. And that is what Elijah experienced on Mount Horeb in the silence of God uh, passing before him uh, after he had eaten, after he had um, eaten the word and then meditated on it and then taken his journey uh, through the desert. One one last line. And that is Francis. that, you know, this foundation is so important. He said that this foundation must be laid first and on that foundation we must build uh, further. So he said that from the moment uh, that they have been admitted to the order, the novices must apply themselves to an intimate and deeply spiritual life. And I, I like this. And not be admitted to activities of any kind whatsoever unless that foundation has been laid. So you got to have the ascetical and the mystical laid down, outlined before all of the other stuff. And everything builds on that. So we're going to talk about that when we come back, and we're going to continue in the discussion of Titus Bransma and the linkage of his life to the Lenten journey that we're all on. And a reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, the Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back.
to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, we're going to pick up with the um, theme uh, that we left off with, uh, and that has to do with um, Titus's contention that the mystical life, that which he was introduced to and which he relied on Elijah as a model for, should not be separate from our everyday life. It has to be, in fact, part and parcel of it. Um, in, in fact, in his time, he was concerned that um, there was a time in which there was, um, let me write read this. It says, there was a time in which there were no merely social and economic laws, a time in which faith was not yet separated from the other aspects of life. And I'm like, wow, he's saying that's the problem of his time, that now they are separate and he wants to get them back unified again. And I'm thinking, that's the problem of our lives today, too. Our life and our work have been split apart. And, and so we need the harmony of bringing them together. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You you hear people in this day and age saying, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You know, I have a spiritual side to me, but I don't practice a religion. I don't have any uh, formal um, uh, practices that I engage in, but I'm spiritual. Well, I think Titus might be concerned about that perspective. I think he would say... Uh, we we have to make our spirituality part and parcel of our everyday life, but it has to, again, be built on what he uh, termed a foundation. Mm-hmm. That foundation has to have some context. For us in Carmel, that context is the rule, it's community, it's our apostolate, it's our uh, uh, charism of contemplative prayer. We understand that. And other orders have similar sort of, uh, uh, you know, mottos and, and themes that they follow. But the point is we have to bring those together and unify them with everyday life, whatever our life might be. And all of it based on truth. And we know God is love and, and God is truth. And so that foundation is so important for us, and we need to apply it. So when we don't, then we get out of the boundaries, and that's when things get messed up. Yeah, and we should also point out, as we'll go through some of the details of his life, this was a very busy person. Titus Bransma was actively involved. We just said um, he had taken up his father's mantle at reforming Catholic education and getting affirmation from the state for uh, Catholic institutions. He was very actively involved in his own teaching responsibilities, eventually uh, posted at the University of Nijmegen, a famous university uh, in Holland. Uh, he was uh, actively involved in journalism late in his life when he was asked to be a spiritual director uh, for Catholic journalists. Um, 
and took up those responsibilities with a great deal of vigor. That's, in fact, what brought him to Canada uh, and for a short time into the United States. And I think when, as he was seeing uh, the emphasis of growing um, the Catholic secondary education and, um, you know, philosophy as a, as a bedrock, you know, that search for the truth and on the, on, and the love of God, he, he had a radio dress on the topic of mysticism in the Netherlands and, and its progression. And he made the statement that the artificial separation between grace and life, faith and good works, reflection and apostolate is beginning to break down. Our composite human nature is again beginning to discover its unity in God. And that happens so often. We come to a crisis and things are all falling apart. And guess what happens? In the mix and in the muck, then order starts to regenerate and we come unified again. And I'm hoping that we get to see that in our lifetime too. Well, he says something else about this idea of the nearness of God and the mystery or the mystical experience. He says the mystery of God's nearness, which, though unfathomable, can be experienced simply in even in a timid and tentative faith. So he's giving encouragement to those of us who are struggling, Francis, that, you know, even in the midst of our trials and our difficulties, and sometimes when we say, God, I'm not really sure you're there, uh, he's saying, no, God, God is there and the mystical opportunity is available to you. Titus's words did not proceed from academic theories. This is Constant Dole now. Uh, but rather, he says, they were from his own experience. Actually, he can only speak from the depths in images and experience that can only be accessed from within. It is therefore, even for Titus Brandsmutt, uh, Constant Dole tells us, it was difficult to describe. The secret of this is that humans are never so much themselves and never recognize themselves in their strength and their limitations as when they know that they are loved. And that's the message yeah. that Titus Brandsmith thinks leads us to this realization of God's nearness, of the ability, even in our timid faith, to be transformed. We have to come to the belief that we are loved. We have to be able to um, accept the reality that we are accepted, that we are affirmed in God. And, you know, when you go on that journey to that interior life, that inward uh, search for God, um, he says the road inward does not lead to inner solitude, but the realization of living before the face of him for whom nothing is hidden. So you're not going inside to be with yourself. You're right. going in to have company with God. To, to find the one that you most seek. That's yes. right. Yeah. To have a relationship with God. It's a very good point because sometimes we talk so much about solitude and, and I do about silence and simplicity. And I think uh, there is the risk sometimes that people may say, oh, well, so I'm just supposed to dispense with everything outside of me. Yes, that's true. But it is done for the purpose of being able to find what is most alive inside of you. And that's, of course, our Lord and Savior, uh, God, the Trinity. Uh, and that's what we're seeking in what I call the geography of the soul, the deepest interior of ourself and the deepest uh, level of the experience of God is found in the experience of Elijah. That silence at the edge of the cave, the cave being uh, the bridge between the interior life and the world, sitting at the edge of the cave in silence is where he ultimately experienced God. 
Well, so now where do we go? Well, uh, we should point out Titus was not a naive or unaware uh, academic. He understood society. He was very much involved in society. Um, he understood where society fit in the mystical life. And in an address given in 1932 at the University of Nijmegen, entitled simply The Idea of God, he describes what he characterized as the greatest of all human afflictions. And when there's a blessed who's beginning to speak with that sort of language. I want to know what it is that he has to say. Yeah, this really struck me when I first read it, too. Now, we should just say quickly, he was appointed, I'm forgetting his title, he was the Rector Magnificus of the university. This is a position uh, of some prestige that he assumed at the University of Nijmegen. And he gave an, uh, uh, this address, and we're just going to take a, sm- a small section from it on uh, page 45. You have that? Would you read that? Among the the many questions I ask myself, there's probably none which occupies me more than the enigmatic fact that evolving mankind, intensely proud as it is of its progress, is in large numbers turning away from God. I had to pause there. I'm like, oh, I can relate to that, can't you? It's fascinating. Again, I want to say he's writing this in 1932. Yeah, and here we are experiencing it um, in our time. He goes on to say, It is appalling that in a time of very great progress in a variety of fields, we face a debasement and denial of God that is spreading like a contagious disease. Titus called this denial the greatest of all human afflictions. Didn't Pope Benedict say something about that, too, along that line? Yeah, he was talking, Benedict was talking about materialism uh, and and the impact that it has had, the very subtle impact that it has had on us, because, um, you know, it's not the more obvious aspects of materialism. But what, what Titus is talking about here, and he says later on, by the way, when this is lost, uh, the greatest evil has befallen man. Mm. Um, it is appalling, he says, that in this time of great progress, and you're right, Francis, we could say these same words in our own time. Yeah. In great progress, yet we are uh, facing this debasement and denial of God, which is spreading like a contagious yeah, disease. Yeah, we're sick. We're sick. Lord, help us. <laughs> Come heal us now. Well, um, can you imagine what Titus Bransma might say to our generation uh, I did, and I went looking for what I thought he might say, and of course, uh, he made that easy for me by providing some insight. Uh, for a person to reach that source, that source that we were talking about, he must be detached from this strong focus, first on himself, he says, and then he goes on, he has to refrain from every demand, uh, from ever demanding anything for himself. And if he did, he would experience how vulnerable his life had become. To have experience and inner contact with this God of abundance, he refers to him, is unknown to people who know only the hard standard of utility and and have a sharp eye for how they can take advantage of people and things. The mystical person, he says, continually lets go of himself. He in no other way clings to himself. For that, his reverence for life is too strong. Yes, that that sense of the utilitarianism, I'm like, oh, we have to really look at that. Uh, when you when you totally uh, look at the world and people as how useful they are, then you've totally missed the mark, uh, so to speak. <laughs> well, he's very um, 
concerned, obviously, in this 1932 address and in his later writings about what he sees. And this is the philosopher in him, that he can step back and view things from a much broader uh, perspective, I think, in, in the context of what uh, is happening in the world around him. Um, and again, I'll go on and, and suggest that what Titus might say to us today, again, quoting him, the indwelling and in working of God must not only be this, the, the object of intuition, but also manifest itself in our life, come to the expression in our words and deeds and radiate from our whole being and behavior. So here's that linkage he's mm-hmm. making the mystical which is within us, which we reach through uh, this experience of contemplative prayer, must then manifest itself not simply in our um, prayer life, but in our words, in our deeds, in our demeanor, in our behavior. That is the expression of the living God. And, you know, Francis, we've talked about the word prophet and how um, Elijah uh, played the role of prophet. And the prophet is not someone who simply predicts or or grants prophecy about future events, but is an example themselves of the presence of the living God. That's actually what it means to be a prophet. And and truth bearer. So uh, they tell it like it is, right? <laughs> Sometimes well, we won't don't want to hear that, though. <laughs> let, let's go on with these quotes, because I think they're important. And I'm going to confess that this is a mixture of both uh, Titus Bransma's own writings and Constant Dole uh, reflecting on his experience of the research of uh, Titus Bransma. So there's some mixture here, but there's a long quote, uh, Francis. I'd really like us to cover that. I think it's very important. And again, this is Titus Bransma speaking to our generation. And he's ta- he's talking about, you know, thinking, uh, you know, going inward. All right. But if we just do this intellectually, um, we're not going to come to the knowledge of God. It's, it's more than an intellectual labor. Um, if a person becomes inwardly conscious of God's presence in the ground of one's being, and if one opens oneself totally to him, he will make himself felt and work in our heart. He will shape us into a new human being. If in our thinking we become conscious of our inner capacities and let this impact us, it can lead us to the acknowledgement of God. These inner forces are, for example, the voice of one's conscience, our sense of being limited, a feeling for beauty, and the hidden order in all life. Yeah, it's clear, he says, that we are speaking here of an inner space, the reality greater than uh, that which can be described with words from our experience of the visible world. Uh, those who enter into this world become more intensely conscious of their own life. It haunts them. They feel drawn to it. They want to go further receptive to the new experience. It will become a long and dark journey. A person notices that he is being uh, that, that he is being moved and shaped by forces that come from the core of his being. As his attention for the inner life grows stronger, he will note that astonishment, the great ease with which we humans admit to our consciousness, precisely those forces which give us a positive self-image and confirm us too easily. We then view the world in light of this illusion. And this is an important point, I think, that he, again, uh, reflecting on his uh, skill and insight as a philosopher, 
he talks about how this experience of God, spending time with God, entering into the contemplative um, experience does two things for us. It enlightens us about ourselves, which in and of itself is terribly important, but it enlightens us about the world. We begin to see the world and all that is in the world in its proper context. Yeah, right order. Yeah. It's so important. And, you know, the more you uh, are exposed to who God is and you open yourself to discovering God within, the more you see how you are his creation and how little and full of poverty you are and how you are so gifted by this magnificent lover. And so, you know, we can really... um uh, help ourselves grow by having the courage to to go within and seek him and you know when we start to recognize his presence then we are astonished and and then we do start to recognize that you know we can't make this happen and, and we understand it is gift and uh, so Titus used these words uh, continually in his writings the word indwelling which of course I'm uh, particularly attracted to because it is uh, the the terminology that Blessed Elizabeth used, the indwelling of the Trinity. He also uses this word in working, and he uses it this way. The in working of God is the process of recreation, the transforming presence of God. On this subject, Titus says, this indwelling and in working of God, now these are his words, must come to the expression in our words, deeds, and radiate from our entire being. He said this just a moment ago. We cannot exact from God that which he does in us. If we think we have some power over this sacred process, it recedes. God's spirit blows where it wills. So back to he, his earlier comments about the process of disposing ourselves in the way that Elijah did. Yeah. You have a role. Elijah, you must eat the cake and drink the water. Read my word. Eat the cake and drink the water again. Meditate on my word. Now you're ready for the journey across the desert. Now all of the work that remains is up to God. God invites us into the contemplative experience, but only he can do the work from there on. And that in working then reveals itself, manifests itself. We can see signs of it, not through, as Francis said at the beginning of our program, this isn't a, a discussion of mysticism regarding ecstasies and visions and all of the sort of accoutrements that go along with mystical dialogue, but rather the transformation of our individual being. And the proof of it is we will see the change in our demeanor, in our attitude. We'll see, for example, ah, I now see in context what it is that, uh, uh, you know, all the political debate really means, what all of the uh, attention on uh, national sports, what, what, what context that falls into, and the importance of things prioritized and put in proper order. Again, not to diminish them, but simply to see them in the proper order. These Many revelations will come as a result of this inworking of God. And he reminds us that, you know, this is God who wants to be near us, uniquely present to us. And when we don't experience him or we only experience him at a little at a time, you know, that's normal because we're not going to have his fullness. We can't handle that. But so we have a part. And so it's not presence as rest, as what he called it, but a continual coming in power. I like that. A continual coming in power. So he's always coming to me. Just like the sun is always shining on the good and the bad. He's always coming to me. It's how am I opening to him? How am I receiving him? How am I responding to him? 
There's another little <clears throat> quote in here that I really liked. Um, and again, this is Constant Dole, and he's reflecting on the the uh, address that Titus Bransma had given. He says, a human's inner world is holy ground. That's your inner world. That's yes. my inner world. That's yeah. holy ground. Yes. He says, one must take the sandals off one's feet. Well, yes. who does that reckon us back to? That's Moses, of course, before yes. the burning bush. Sometimes one is expelled from it, but one can always find their way back. Now, we're expelled through our sin or through our disobedience of God's uh, will in our life, but we can always find our way back. And then down at the bottom of this very page, Francis, Anton van Duenkirchen, who was a professor, who was resident, was um, in attendance uh, during that presentation that Titus gave, said this afterwards. After his words... It seems things looked brighter across our land. Perhaps for some, this is one more frail proof that he understood the spirit of his age. Of course, what he's referring to was the uh, dawning of uh, the invasion of the Nazis into Holland. And uh, we'll get into that story a little bit later. But I think Titus uh, himself may have had great insight on what was happening uh, in the larger context, because remember, this was a mystic. This is somebody right. who was uh, tapped into, um, you know, communication with God. And we we can imagine that he had a, a mystical sense of the events that were occurring around his country and what might happen as a result of it. And he wanted to leave something uh, before, as we'll discuss, he was eventually taken. He wanted to leave something uh, that would give his people strength and something to hold on to. And this address, uh, of course, did that in a, in a profound way. Isn't it amazing how somebody's words can really all of a sudden just strike you and change your life? Uh, I remember one Carmelite priest coming and telling me, God has your best interest at heart. He said that in the, in the midst of his conference. But those words struck me and stayed with me. And I'm like, yes. And, and so Titus Bransman is also telling us, you know, God has our best interests at heart. And so wherever we are, God is there with us. You know, he had, um, and we'll develop this a little bit here uh, today, but perhaps we'll spend some more time on it. He had this um, uh, drawing, this image, this analogy that he used to the garden. Do you remember that? Yeah. It, it was it, very powerful. It was an an image of the world. It's from a conference that he was going to give over 10 days. And he basically put on a sketch of a hedged in garden on this piece of paper. And from this drawing, um, he would describe the things he found in the garden and what meanings he could discover there. And so basically, it, you know, you have the, the different plants and the flowers. And, you know, what was it about that reality that we can see that was indicating to us a invisible reality um for example you know roses you know the beauty of the rose and yet there's the thorn and and weeds that come in uh flowers that grow seemingly in no direction and yet when given guidance when giving pruning you know make a a, a beautiful wall of flowers um so he he takes all these different aspects of the garden and relates that to the spiritual life and i think therese does that and some of her talks about nature mm-hmm. and, and flowers. And so, um, but it, it's that abstract power that helps us understand this, um, 
this sense of God. Uh, of art and imagery. Again, this repeating theme of art and imagery. He was also a poet, by the way. He wrote a number of poems. We're going to read one tonight before uh, we depart. But um, Titus knows that those who in humble faith do not seek out the grand and glittering diversions of the world, but are continually prepared to relinquish the things that give them pleasure, are most apt to experience wonder. He says the image of the garden acquired a deeper religious meaning in the biblical Song of Songs. Of course, this is mm-hmm. the the book that John of the Cross drew uh, so much of his great uh, uh, poetic uh, imagery from. We must turn now, in the words of Titus Bransma, we must turn our heart into a garden. Yes. We must make our heart into a caramel. And, of course, we know yes. caramel itself is a garden. So he's very much... Um, uh, attached to this imagery of the garden, and you brought out some very excellent points about the um, uh, combination of not just the beauty and the flowers, but also the weeds, right. right, that have to be picked up and have to be removed. And, and yet, you know, it's not for themselves alone. They all work together um, as a unified whole to communicate something that is beyond the collection of the individual plants themselves, or or even all together. It. it it comes to a, a bigger reality, a bigger message for all of us. And he uses that analogy. And again, this is where we believe he had a, a mystical insight at the very least as to what may be uh, about to happen. It says, the purely good can never be realized. It is always mixed. Ambiguities and enigmas will always remain. Isn't that true of our yes, spiritual life? Can you relate to that at <laughs> yes, all? Indeed. I wonder if any of our listeners can relate to this concept of mixing uh, the good with the bad in our spiritual life. That is Titus's view of the world and, and of world history. Unlike that of others who see criminality and suffering in questions of God's justice, he sees simply this mixture. Titus was so imbued with the consciousness that human beings do not belong to themselves that his attention always spontaneously leaped out uh, to him, to God, in whom we move and live and have our being. That was his view of the garden and the relationship uh, that we have in the context of that garden with God. Well, Francis, I'm going to ask you to close this in prayer, and I mentioned a moment ago that he, uh, Titus Bransmo, was also a poet, and he's known for a number of poems, but this one I think perhaps most famously. And this is a good summaration of his life. I think this is written uh, at a crucial moment of his life where he learned to accept suffering. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, Jesus, when I look on you, my love for you becomes more true. And yours, I know, will never end. You see me as a special friend. This calls for courage on my part. But pain is a blessing for my heart. For pain makes me become like you and leads me to your kingdom, too. I feel true blessing in my pain. Such suffering for me is gain. For what your providence will do is make me one, my God, with you. Just leave me in this cold alone, although it chills me to the bone. No visitors, no one to see. To be alone is good for me. For you, Lord Jesus, are right here. I never felt you quite so near. Stay with me. With me, Jesus sweet. Your presence makes my joy complete. Well, thank you, Francis. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. 
we will be returning in a couple of weeks, but uh, we'll be picking up on the theme and the life of Titus Bransma, covering a little bit more about his own analysis of the history of mysticism in our church. And uh, we look forward to having you join us and perhaps joining our conversation. Until then, God bless. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. God bless. to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations 